Hi, this is Tom Era. And Michael Floor of DLA Piper, the global law firm that makes Web3 business better. We are here on the edge of NFT. That is, legally speaking, the best podcast on earth. Not legal advice. Keep listening. Hi, NFT Curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode and learn how DLA Piper is contributing significantly to the growth and refinement of Web3 from a legal perspective. And about some interesting vocab terms like licorice pizza and disintermediation. And finally, catch up about entertainment studio Toonstar's new NFT-backed TV series called Space Junk. Stay tuned. And Outer Edge LA, our awesome community-centric gathering, recently returned to Los Angeles in March of 2023. If you think you missed out, you can catch up on all the interactive experiences, discussions, presentations, and more by heading over to watch.outeredge.live and signing up with your email address to get the full recap of over 60 captivating conversations and performances. Watch out, Netflix. It's time to Outer Edge and chill. Welcome to The Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Tom Ara and Michael Fleur of DLA Piper, a global law firm with legal professionals in over 40 countries ready to help clients with their needs around the world. First up, let's get a little background on Tom. He's a partner at DLA Piper's Century City office. He's a global and US co-chair of the firm's media, sport and entertainment practice. Tom is all about making deals and solving problems within the entertainment and media industry and in recent times, Web3. Variety Magazine recognized him as a top business leader shaping the global media industry. He has led a multitude of cutting edge transactions in media and entertainment globally. He's appeared and contributed opinions in media across TV, podcasts, and text publications. Check the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, and Financial Times, just to name a few, for his name. Within Web3, he has closed investment deals involving VR and Bitcoin and played a role in the first TikTok NFT and OpenSea record-breaking drops involving the likes of Anthony Hopkins and Scottie Pippen. He's a board member for the Black House Foundation, trustee of the U.S. Asia Institute, and an advisor or board member of various other entertainment industry organizations. Now, let's get some background on Michael Fleur. He counsels and defends companies in a wide variety of complex commercial disputes. Michael focuses his practice on the financial sector, including the blockchain and digital asset space, where he advises and defends exchanges, issuers, NFT platforms and creators, and other related companies. Michael is an author and editor of the book, Cryptocurrency and Digital Asset Regulation, a practical guide for multinational counsel and transactional lawyers, a coffee table book for many, I'm sure, published in 2022 by the American Bar Association. Sought after for his deep understanding of the space and technology, Michael has been quoted in media and regularly publishes and speaks about issues germane to blockchain and digital assets. This includes securities analysis, intellectual property rights, and regulation of the NFT space. And finally, DLA Piper, a little bit more about that. They handle just about any legal needs for clients wherever they do business on earth. Global offices sit in the Americas, Europe, the Middle East, Africa, and Asia Pacific. 
and more as well. Example areas of mastery include arbitration, banking, competition and trade, corporate crime and corporate finance. Additionally, they are strong in legal matters pertaining to employment, energy, hospitality, insurance, intellectual property, litigation, M&A, the list goes on. Guys, welcome to Edge of NFT. Michael, Tom, it's great to have you here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Ethan. Beautiful. The legal system is well beyond me. I mean, I've studied a lot of complex things and I admire anybody who goes deep into law. It's great knowledge to have and you're direly needed in this particular industry with so many changes and things going on. And DLA Piper, very impressive. You're all about helping businesses grow and doing it well, applying late-breaking insights in legal and commercial practices. Can you guys give me any background on DLA Piper in general, how the organization came to be? Well, I think a good way to approach this question is a little bit of background that you know, and also just how you got there, maybe from each of you. Yeah, yeah. The firm was here long before I got here. And thank you for the wonderful introductions, including the overview of the firm's breadth and expertise. I think in general, what we have been able to accomplish here and during the time we've been here is to really place the firm on the map when it comes to Web3. It's been an incredibly important practice area for our firm, growth area for our firm. And lawyers like Mike and others will, I'm sure, talk about or others have come across have played an incredible role in placing the firm firmly, I think, at the top of the list of Web3 firms. The firm has tremendous roots in Silicon Valley and technology, both in the Bay Area and in the kind of tech corridor down in Southern California. And of course, it's an international firm that's created as a result of a number of combinations over the years, starting about 17, 18 years ago, that resulted in what is now one of the top two or three firms in the world in terms of size. And I will also just add that what I really love about what we've built here is it's a collection of lawyers and professionals who have tremendous connectivity and have overlap in ways that make working together to use overused term, synergistic, and ultimately we're a service business delivering top quality service comprehensively to our clients. Right. And Michael, anything to add about your experience or how you got to DLA? Yeah, I'll give you a little background on myself and then how that dovetails into DLA's current blockchain practice. So I came to DLA about three years ago. Before that, I was helping to build the blockchain practice at a different firm. And we were doing a lot of work for a very large cryptocurrency exchange that centered around litigation. But I was also starting to build a larger practice that included regulatory counseling, commercial counseling, IP licensing with a variety of clients in the blockchain space. As was true then, is still sort of true now. There weren't a ton of attorneys who really had a deep understanding of the industry and the space and the technology, which I think in this particular industry is very important for a lawyer to have. And so we were seeing increasing demand. At that time, I was looking for a place that had a growing blockchain practice and a large platform, particularly in the tech industry and in the Bay Area and in California, where we continued to build that practice. And so I came to DLA about three years ago 
And at the time, like I think a lot of firms, at least a lot of good firms in the blockchain space, there was a rapidly growing blockchain practice with attorneys from a variety of different areas. You had corporate attorneys who are helping early stage blockchain companies figure out how to raise capital with maybe both equity and tokens. You had some of the media attorneys, including Tom and his group that were starting to do projects in the NFT space with their media clients. You had regulatory attorneys and litigators who were starting to counsel companies on how to comply with all sorts of various regulations and participate in litigation. And over the past few years, with the help of some really, really amazing colleagues at DLA, who I'll I'll name in a second, we've built sort of a core team of blockchain practitioners who are handling all sorts of matters from tax advice to DeFi protocols to capital raising for early stage companies to NFT licensing and advice to DAO work. And I do want to give a special shout out to some of the leaders and pioneers in that group, including Margot Tank, Deborah Mishulam, Mark Radcliffe, the venerable Mark Radcliffe, James Williams, and of course, Tom. It's really a fascinating space to be in and to grow. And you have to be This isn't pick a real estate, your basic real estate transactional law or something, right? It's not like John and Jane buying a house. This is cutting edge stuff where you really have to be on the forefront and you have to be willing to almost be co-creating an industry as it builds. So it's very exciting for you guys to be in there. In all of the things you listed, there's a couple of areas that have, in my opinion, I have the most excitement and creativity around them, but also a lot of messiness that probably creates a lot of interesting strategies and conversations from the legal side, those being like NFTs and DAOs. The messier it is, the more they get paid. So (laughs) I don't think they're worried about that. I'd love to hear about how you guys help people really think strategically around, like in particular, NFTs and DAOs, where you see a lot of creativity and people experimenting all the time. And in DAOs, it's exceptionally messy and still nascent. Like there's still questions around, will this ever be anything other than illegal? Yeah. Just to kind of prelude to that is, I think Web3, NFTs, blockchain, it really is the intersection of some very important legal areas. And that's where, I think, as Mike said, some of our colleagues and the team here are critical to it. It's regulatory in many ways, as you guys are probably very well aware, as are your listeners. Unsettled law, but prosecution around a lot of what's happening in Web3 and blockchain by various regulatory authorities. Intellectual property, incredibly important to most of what this space involves. Venture and venture capital, because that's the funding source for a lot of what happens here, pure technology. So it's really this culmination of expertise in so many different areas that come together to be able to provide like this package of services to clients. And some of the areas you mentioned, Zach, I mean, DAOs, a very rapidly developing area. As we speak, laws are being introduced and bills are being introduced in states, including California, where Mike and I are to try and bring some certainty to the DAO world, which has a lot of uncertainty from both the legal perspective, but also regulatory and other aspects. I think for us, one of the things we try and do is share knowledge. We have an internal email group where we're constantly not only saying, hey, just saw this article, but then I'll see something, I'll post it. And the next thing I know, Mike has dissected it with incredible detail of like what it means, the implications, and then someone else will chime in and we'll do that every day. And it's a lot of fun to see that because we know we're on the bleeding edge. We're doing work in an area that 
10, 20, 30 years from now, we're building the foundation for with our clients as legal advisors. Yeah. Anything else to say on that kind of topic about the sort of challenges and issues you guys are hashing out? Michael? Yeah. I mean, just to go back to the question in terms of dealing with what you call the messiness, I'd probably pick a friendlier word, but it is interesting because as is true for a lot of technologies, you have technological entrepreneurs who are kind of pioneering and leading the way. And lawyers then have to figure out what are you doing and how are existing laws going to apply to that? So NFTs and DAOs both present a good example. So for, for NFTs, what you saw in the early days of NFTs is you saw creators saying, okay, I'm going to sell an NFT, which is in a lot of ways just a digital certificate and associate it with this piece of media that's going to maybe live off chain somewhere. And I'm going to sell it to you as a package and say, hey, you're going to have an NFT of this piece of artwork. And people said, cool, I've got an NFT of this picture. I've got an NFT of this picture. I've got an NFT of this sound recording. But then the question becomes from a legal perspective, what does that mean? What does it mean to have an NFT of a picture? And so lawyers get involved and we say, well, the thing to own when it comes to a picture is intellectual property. So maybe there's an intellectual property right here, some that the creator can own and then either transfer or license to the holder. And you saw the emergence of these assignment and licensing regimes of intellectual property. But DAOs presented another example where you had people say, oh, we're going to form a DAO. We're going to create a smart contract and distribute a governance token, which is going to have some governance rights, maybe over this underlying DeFi protocol, let's say, just to use an example. But then the question arises, what kind of organization has actually been formed, if any. And so lawyers have to come in and start trying to figure out, okay, what does that mean for a group of people to get together and say, okay, we're each going to exercise some limited governance right over this DeFi protocol? Does that mean that we can incorporate? Does that mean we can call ourselves an unincorporated association, like a partnership or even a nonprofit association? Can we say we're not actually any organization at all? We're actually just independently out doing their thing. So these are the things that lawyers then come in once the entrepreneurs have, have built products and said, okay, now, how do we fit these products in and work with existing laws to secure favorable and workable legal treatment so that these entrepreneurs can go out and do their thing and make the next products for tomorrow? Yeah, I can't help but be reminded of the story, which you guys may or may not be familiar with. It may be too pop culture for you. I don't know. There's the monkey selfie where the monkey got the copyright because he's the one that pressed the button. He had somebody's <laughs> camera. <laughs> And it's funny that we're doing monkey pictures now with NFTs because it's kind of a similar like dance around who owns this monkey picture and what does that mean? I would like to point out these are not monkeys, they're apes. They're apes. Yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> People like to say, yeah, exactly. But yeah, I appreciate the second description of all that from you. Now let's jump over to the metaverse here. That it has its own set of legal complications. Yeah, I wonder if one or both of you could kind of break down some of the things that you deal with in the metaverse and how DLA kind of might be getting their hands dirty, helping out with that. Yeah. I mean, I guess the first thing I'd begin by saying to dispel notions that folks may have about the laws that apply when you're foraying into the metaverse, there are laws and those laws are the same ones that we live with every day in the real world. <laughs> so it's not a different planet. It's not a different universe. It is a virtual world that exists on this planet. And depending on the jurisdiction you live in, those are the laws that are going to likely apply to you for whatever conduct or actions that you take there. I think one of the most important things that I deal with, because my background is, as Mike said, media and intellectual property, 
our intellectual property rights in the metaverse, which start to get very interesting and at times murky because what happens in the metaverse often, which is a great thing about the metaverse, is a piece of intellectual property gets introduced and then people build on it and it develops into something, what we call a derivative. And then there are questions around who owns that derivative work or that new creation? Is it whoever created it in that space? Is it the platform that runs that metaverse or is it the original creator? And so there are a lot of things depend on the terms of use for that platform when you enter and use it. It may depend on copyright laws in a particular jurisdiction. So there's a lot at issue there. Now, for the average person who maybe comes in and introduces a piece of intellectual property in the metaverse, they may not care that much about aspects around ownership or copyright. But if let's say you're a major brand, or let's say you're a major Hollywood studio or creator, you want to be very careful when you're going into that world about what can be done with your intellectual property and who can gain any part of ownership of it. So these are the types of things we're talking to clients about quite regularly and how to manage those risks. Some are more risk averse than others. And the important thing I think for us in our role is to just help them navigate the risks there and mitigation options. And ultimately, clients have to make their own decisions about what to do there. At risk of diving headfirst down like one of the deepest rabbit holes, I can't resist like asking you guys for some perspective on what's one of my favorite topics in like the world of Web3 and crypto. And that really is just the concept of ownership. We use that word a lot. You know, it has a more, I think, understood and established meaning in everyday outside of the metaverse, outside of Web3 world. And you know, in certain jurisdictions, it also has like a very specific definition. But previously, it's all kind of required identity, whether it's a natural person or a business entity owning something. In Web3, it might be more accurate to say, okay, I'll admit that I happen to control the keys to a wallet. At what point does that cross over into maybe more established versions of ownership? Because it seems to me like branching from that comes a lot of interesting conversations, in particular around intellectual property. This is a really interesting question. And what's funny is if you were to ask, I think even the average attorney, what does it mean to own something? I have this phone that I just got yesterday, and I think this is going to be one of the questions later, but what does it mean for me to own this phone? And really at the end of the day, what it means is the law is going to recognize my right to do certain things with it. And it feels a bit circular, but that, that is really what ownership means is that the law is going to allow me to control it and to not let anyone else to control it. And I have certain rights to do what I want with it. And so I think we end up asking ourselves these same questions when it comes to digital assets like cryptocurrency. You're exactly right. If I control the keys, and that is the way to think about it, if I control the keys to, let's say, a given address on Ethereum and stored in that address, not really accurate to say stored in that address, we can say, metaphorically, stored in that address are certain tokens. Do I own those tokens? I would argue the answer is unquestionably yes. We now have a lot of court cases that talk about a certain rights to cryptocurrency, and they've been treated as property under tax laws and under laws of civil liability for purposes of theft. So I think it seems clear to me that you can certainly own these digital assets on a blockchain as much as you can own other types of assets. But around the boundaries, there are all sorts of unanswered questions, including maybe the one you were asking before. Who can own these sorts of things? Can a protocol own tokens? 
I mean, to me, you might say, and again, there are no clear answers right now, but you might ask, how different is that than saying a vending machine owns the snacks inside? Normally, you would say, well, somebody controls the vending machine. Or what if I share the key with a spouse, a friend, or accidentally with a hacker? It's almost like by copying a key at Home Depot for 29 cents, did I now give 50% equity in my contents of my safe? It's a great question. And we could go down the rabbit hole with all sorts of hypotheticals. But these are the sorts of questions that we're called upon to answer in a variety of circumstances. I've dealt with these exact same questions, particularly in litigation, because that's where it tends to come up. And what you end up having to do is to say, okay, there are no laws on the books on cryptocurrency, at least there weren't years ago. So you have to look at, well, what are laws on the books and what are court cases on the books say about my right to own property in a vending machine or my right to own money or what does ownership mean? And just try to apply those same concepts to these new technologies. Yeah, it's a fun topic. We could probably talk about it all day and, and still have plenty to say. But somewhere more in like the NFT side of things and how we've been able to see interesting entertainment properties take advantage and specifically sports has really been leading the way a lot the last few years. I know you at DLA Piper have worked with pro basketball, football, soccer teams on a lot of different areas, like anything from naming rights to fan tokens, NFTs. Can you tell us more about what process you go through working with these giant kind of entertainment media and IP properties? Sports is its own kind of unique area, particularly in the United States, because the major sports, football, soccer, basketball, hockey, baseball, heavily regulated by leagues. And so what the individual teams can do with their intellectual property and team names requires careful analysis and potentially approval at the league level. And we have a tremendous sports team at the firm that works with us carefully anytime we're going down the path of working with a team on NFT initiative. And then when you're dealing with players likeness, that's a whole different follow wax with the players associations and their rights. So it can be complicated. And that's where I think we come in to your earlier point, Zach, about messes or complicated situations. We love that type of puzzle and trying to solve it. And so in that respect, again, lots of questions that arise around how much control do we have over our intellectual property once it gets out there? And what is the scope of the license you're giving to a purchaser of these NFTs? And is it on an open marketplace that these NFTs can be traded? Or if you think about like Top Shots and some of the closed marketplace models, is it in an environment where the license is to view, exhibit, and that's basically about it when trade? So there are different appetites by different parties on how to approach those. We've seen probably the most important driver for doing NFTs in this space is fan engagement brand affinity. And I think there also is a component of using it as a tool for memorabilia. Memorabilia, definitely, whether it's a ticket to a game or a card for a player, I think that's an important aspect of the use in that area. As well, I think for ownership purposes, going back to the discussion around ownership, being able to prove historically you have this certificate by way of a token of having purchased the first ever fill-in-the-blank NFT around a player or a team. Outside of sports, we've seen a lot of engagement by, at least on the film, television, talent side around wanting to, again, engage with fans. And for some, it has become a significant revenue source 
being able to publish these NFTs and being able to, again, have a potential down the stream royalty to the extent that there are royalties attached in many cases there are, that sometimes I think the perspective is, well, it opens up a new avenue of revenue that didn't exist when somebody goes and just buys a copy of a film or a copy of a magazine and then trades it and sells it to the next person, the studio wouldn't get their royalty, wouldn't get ongoing participation. And NFTs and blockchain give that opportunity that I think many are interested in grabbing. Yeah. And just out of that, I've done a lot of NFT deals over the past few years with sports teams, sports leagues, film studios and companies. One thing that I've found consistently is that these organizations, their brand is everything for them. I mean, it is incredibly valued. Talk about the NFL and the Shield, the NBA and their IP. Like This is a huge piece of the value for them. And they're rightfully quite protective and circumspect about how they license it, the terms under which they do so. So if you look at a typical licensing agreement in this space, I mean, they're long, they can be complex, they entail a lot of protection for the IP licensor. Yeah, I mean, the sports game on TV is like the only thing you ever actually get a disclaimer at the beginning without express written permission, et cetera. Yeah, there you go. And so one of the challenging, but I've thought fun aspects of pioneering what these deals can look like is being able to discuss, okay, here's the technology, here's what's going to be done with it. And these things that might typically be done with your brand, we've got to modify that a little bit. We've got to tweak it. We've got to figure out different ways to protect it. We've got to realize where some of the limitations might be with respect to this new technology, but also where some of the advantages might be with this new technology. That's been, I think, one of the challenging parts about pioneering what these deals can look like. Cool stuff. And by the way, does the DLA Piper sports team have a sports team? Do they play like in a baseball league? I don't know if we do. I don't think we I don't think we currently do. <laughs> I feel probably, like that's so appropriate. Like a pickleball team. Or do you have your logo on a little league team somewhere? Yeah, definitely need to sponsor like a little league team and create little NFTs for all their players. And we did drop an NFT, I think, recently at another NFT conference, didn't we, Mike? I thought we didn't we do an NFT drop in New York? Yeah. We indeed did. And look, we've definitely leaned into that area. We work with kind of a token that we helped launch that is now an independent company called Toco a few years back. So I've been incredibly impressed by how forward-leaning we've been into this space relative to some of our peer firms, but more importantly, an industry that by its nature is very conservative and concerned about legal risk and just general kind of adventuring into areas they're not familiar with. And we've been careful, obviously, and deliberate, but certainly ahead of the curve. And just to put in an extra plug for those roots, something I forget about sometimes is I think it was in the fall or winter of 2020, when one of our old partners who had helped build Toco, which is our tokenization engine, minted one or more NFTs associated with art that were then purchased by a few of our partners. And I think the Hong Kong office, and this was before the NFT craze. So I've been working on blockchain for quite a while now. And there was a time where people would talk about NFTs and I had done some stuff with NFTs, but nobody really knew what they were or thinking about it until like late 2020 and early 2021, when all of a sudden it became very, very interesting to a lot of people. But I remember even before that, we issued this NFT art project. Yeah, it was incredibly ahead of the curve, really. I mean, I know it's like only three years ago, but if you think about what's happened in the NFT world in three years, it's tremendous. My first introduction, by the way, to digital assets or currency was 
in the mid 2000s with Second Life. And I remember getting my first Linden coins, if you know what those are, and saying, what the heck is this? <laughs> what am I going to do with it? And you could buy weird tchotchkes or whatever on Second Life. And there were people who were really racking up their Linden coins. And then I think I abandoned it in like 2006 or seven. I stopped using it. And years later, when I started hearing about Second Life again, I went back to it. And I realized I still had my Linden coins. They were still worth nothing, though. <laughs> so I didn't know what to do with them. <laughs> yeah. Actually, one of our fans who was active in our Discord also was a huge Second Life user. And just, yeah, I mean, it's interesting how little we've seen of them within the Web3 NFT right. space. And the metaverse, but, right? Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. But it was the just... original metaverse, really. I mean, it was over dial-up, which was terrible mm -hmm. <laughs> because there was no high-speed internet in 2004. But I think it's one of the cases where they've been around for so long. They've had their own trajectory and altering it might not be on the game plan. But um, yeah, fascinating stuff. So wrap up here in a couple of questions. I think one that we always like to ask, if there's anything you can share, like what's on the horizon for DLA Piper? Partnerships, collabs, exciting features and stuff that you see or keep it close. Mike, scale. collabs, what do, you, what do you got? Collab <laughs> only because I think the collab question is probably aimed at companies that are a little more fun than law firms. Like, are we likely to collab <laughs> yes, with another yeah, law collab, firm? Going to collab with a construction firm. To... Well, no, I will tell you the one collab that for us, whether you call it a collab or what's on the horizon, on the metaverse side, the firm is leaning in a big way to build internally and eventually externally a metaverse for employees, professionals to be able to communicate and work together as, and eventually invite clients to come to events and participate. So I'm sure that will lead to some collabs of <laughs> various sorts. We're going to need a coffee shop in our metaverse. So we'll have to figure out who we collaborate with for that or whatever. You know, We had actually, to put in a plug for Mark Radcliffe, we had a collab with another law firm, Latham Watkins and A16Z on these NFT don't be evil licenses, which is like a standard set of licenses that NFT issuers creators can use to license IP. But in law firm land, the collab only goes so far. And now I'm opposite some of those attorneys on a piece of litigation. So <laughs> As uh, yes, that's how the cookie crumbles. All right. Any other projects that you maybe you're not involved with, but you've been admiring from afar and you think people might be interested to pay attention to or ongoing legal conundrums that you think people might be interested in to follow? One of the things that we've been incredibly active in, and unfortunately our colleague James couldn't join us, but is a DAO space. And I think we have been James worked with one of his clients, L'Oreal, on the gorgeous drop, on the gorgeous DAO which I think is launching any day now, it might be today or tomorrow on OpenSea. And I think for us, DAOs present a very interesting kind of legal puzzle to solve. And we've been working closely with major clients, brands on solving it, but also paying close attention internally to both understand the developments and also to some extent where we have influence being able to advocate with lawmakers, regulators, to help them understand what it is, the purpose of it, and how the law should develop. We want the laws and the regulations to develop in a responsible way, ultimately, right? It's to our benefit across the board in Web3 that the way things develop is such that we can work with innovation is permitted, innovation is encouraged, while at the same time, the interests of everyone who has an interest are protected properly. 
I can tell you for me, I mean, this is maybe why I'm a lawyer and not an entrepreneur, but the legal developments are what piqued my interest. And Tom hit on the one that I was going to say as well, which is the treatment of DAOs as organizations is, I think, one of the two or three hottest, most important, interesting legal topics in the blockchain space right now. Happy to go on and on about that. The other being the application, particularly of securities laws, other types of regulation too, but the application of securities laws to various blockchain-based assets, I think is absolutely one of the top two or three most important and to me, interesting topics, legal topics in the blockchain space. Maybe one day a DAO will be categorized as a person legally, just like a corporation. See if that happens. (laughs) No comment. No comment. (laughs) (laughs) But you should check out the bill that was introduced, I think, this week in California. Was it this week, Mike? For the treatment of DAOs as unincorporated associations. So there's, and some other states have also either passed or introduced bills. So I think it's developing law. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that concludes like our normal question segment. You have questions about blockchain? Like, how big of a block can you chain without throwing out your back? Or have you received that chain letter? How did you block it? And does blockchain taste better, barbecued or deep fried? (laughs) Luckily, you don't have to ponder these quandaries alone anymore because Blockchain Training Alliance is here to answer them and also train you in real world blockchain issues that will impact your business's bottom line and oriented future forward along the ley lines of the most important tech humanity has perfected since harnessing atomic energy. If you're into those sorts of things, Blockchain Training Alliance is a top leader in the field, counting among its clients IBM, Microsoft, Disney, Morgan Stanley, and many more, and offering a wide array of technical and non-technical courses. Whether you're a computer neophyte training for an incredible career in this new space, or a coding expert honing your skills, Blockchain Training Alliance will help you steer your ship home safely, filled with treasure. (laughs) Arg. So hurry and sign up for the Blockchain Training Alliance course that best fits your needs at blockchaintrainingalliance.com. Use discount code EDGEOF for 50% off and start your next block today. We like to move on to next is our quick hitters, which is a fun, quick way to get to know you guys a little bit better. 10 questions. We're looking for just a short, single or few word response. Feel free to expand a little bit if you get the urge. You guys ready for this? We'll hit you both and we'll pick who answers first on each one. We'll try to alternate. You guys ready? Sure. Let's go. Michael, do I have your consent, sir? (laughs) (laughs) And I may have some questions that I particularly felt like answering and others where I'm like, I don't have a good answer here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, sure. That's fine. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Let's hit Tom first. What is the first thing you ever remember purchasing in your life? It was a vinyl record for anyone who knows what that is. (laughs) And it was the Beach Boys record. Again, the early 80s, and that was the beginning of my obsession with what they referred to in some circles as licorice pizza vinyl. And now I own a collection of vinyl that I don't know what to do with because it takes up a lot of space. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, I don't know. We're still in the era of maybe holding on to it makes sense because it's coming Although I was hopeful this year, I think 2022 vinyl outsold CDs for the first time in I don't know how many years, which the death of CDs has occurred, I guess. Yeah. I heard somebody telling me recently, a musician, that it was going to cost them like 50 bucks per record to print the record. <laughs> you know, it's, like, <laughs> it's crazy. It's very expensive. Michael, do you care to share your first purchase that you remember? The first purchase I can remember is probably like a bouncy ball. I bought it at the school store in elementary school, but something maybe a little more interesting is I remember purchasing a NOS tape. 
I don't remember how old I have. I have a sick memory of purchasing Nas' first album on tape, and now he's launched NFT. So maybe we've come full circle on that. Perfect. Sounds good. Bouncy balls, great go-to. I love them to this day. <laughs> we'll start with Mike in the next one. What's the first thing you ever remember selling in your life, Michael? I have a distinct memory of having my mother purchase me a giant tub of Jolly Ranchers at a Costco-type store and then selling them at school, for which I got in trouble. But at that time, I was supposed I was a little more entrepreneurial than I am now. We got to find a way to create some type of school marketplaces for those kids who generally get punished for trying to sell things at school. I mean, there's something to be learned there. So, Tom, how about you? First thing you ever remember selling in your life? It was the car that was a hand-me-down from my older brother. I got this old beat-up Volkswagen Rabbit that was, by the way, not only stick shift for gear, it was diesel. I couldn't wait to get rid of that thing because I couldn't find a diesel gas station if my life <laughs> depended on it. So I couldn't wait to get rid of it. And when I sold it and used the money to buy my new car, it was one of the happiest days of my life. And I it feel... was a very ugly tan color yeah. on top of everything. Yeah. Nice. I feel like I had a similar car. I think it was okay. a Volkswagen Rabbit. I think it was diesel. But for some reason, there was a lot of diesel VWs and stuff in my family. And yeah, it had like talk about beer. It was one of those things where they had that the ceiling kind of whatever material that's supposed to stick to the ceiling was kind of just like parachuting itself down. That was fun. I didn't know how to drive a stick shift. So the gearbox on that car must have just been destroyed <laughs> when whoever bought it had to put a new transmission in because I basically grind, you know, I was going down the freeway in a second, you know? Yeah. All right. Next one. What's the most recent thing, Tom, that you purchased recent? Oh my God. It was my Tesla probably. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking like big purchases, but I went electric and I bought my Tesla Model S and I can't imagine ever driving into a gas station again and fueling up. I just feel that the car, it was like going from my Atari to my Mac computer or Sega or whatever. It was such a leap in terms of technology and and advanced that I couldn't believe it. And it was one of the best purchases I've made. Awesome. It'd been better if you took an old rabbit beater and put a Tesla power system in it. I love that. The, the Tesla vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There. It's, it's just about right. Yeah. Michael, I think you alluded to your most recent purchase previously. Am I right? Oh, yeah. I just replaced my phone yesterday. So this is my new Google Pixel 7. Very happy with it. Nice work, Google. All right, perfect. Don't say anything to Google directly. <laughs> activate that damn thing that tries to answer all your questions. All right, going back to you, Michael, what's the most recent thing you sold? I probably a few months ago, I sold an old set of DJ equipment that I used for a long time because I replaced it with a more compact set of DJ equipment. So I still DJ at various clubs and I still have DJ equipment, but I sold my old setup and replaced it with a newer, more compact setup. Nice. I'm imagining Michael with some sunglasses on at late at night doing some DJing. I can totally see it. <laughs> Follow me on Facebook, SoundCloud, and Instagram. Don't forget to smash that like button. <laughs> hey, come on. You got to drop your name now, Mike. Go follow Snack Daddy on Facebook, SoundCloud, and Instagram. <laughs> there you go, Snack Daddy. DJ nice. Snack Daddy. All right. Let's see. We're back to Tom. What's the most thing recently that you saw? I don't have a good answer for you on this. And I will just say I probably don't sell much because I don't buy things I don't need. And so what I have, I keep. 
So I'm going to just stop at that. There you go. All right. Next one, then we'll hit back to you. What's your most prized possession, Tom? So I'm going to give you two answers here. One for consumption by my wife, my children, of course, are my most prized possession. They're not really my, well, they'll be my property until they're 18. And then they'll be someone else's problem. But my vinyl records, I mean, I have over 3000 vinyl records. So they're very proud of the collection I had built and care deeply about them. Not more than my kids, but certainly up there. But yeah, close. It depends on the day. No, I love that answer from a lawyer as well. We do get a lot of people who say my family, but they're not my property. But you get to say they're family, but they're not my property. Wait, but until they're 18, they are. (laughs) There's legal implications. Michael, how about you? What's your most prized possession? I will, for the sake of consistency, say the most prized thing in my life, relationship in my life is my wife, not a possession, not a thing. So the question was, what is your most prized possession? I would say my piano. I've been playing music since I was three years old. Music just holds a special place in my heart. It gives me such joy. And so this piano, which I play pretty much every day, it satisfies my three big criteria in a hobby. It brings me a lot of joy. It stimulates me intellectually and it annoys my wife. So, yes, that is the thing about piano playing. You can get in that zone where it sounds great to you, but everybody else is like, shut up. (laughs) What kind of piano is it? It's a Yamaha. It's actually like a digital piano. So it's a Yamaha Clavinova, which is their kind of like digital piano. We got to get you an acoustic piano. You don't know this. You're talking to a piano expert and a tuner, actually, as a matter of fact. This is another life of mine. I tune pianos. I have some piano industry businesses. So you got to get an acoustic piano. Take a look at Clavin's pianos. This is a very fascinating piano. I've been talking with the maker of this. And it's first, the guy got started building pianos by building a piano that was so big, you had to climb a staircase to play it in order to create this huge bass sound and out of it. He was doing that back in the 80s. But nowadays, he's created some smaller things called the Unicorda piano in collaboration with uh, Niels Fromm, a great improvising piano player. But yeah, check out that instrument. I, I've seen quite a few of them streaming into California. I'll have to check it out. And I know the Unicorda because there are a number of digital samplers of the Unicorda out there for purchase for use in making music. Totally. Talk we'll, about we'll talk about this another time. This yeah. is- <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's go back to you, Michael. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical service or experience that's currently for sale, what would it be? Well, now I'm going to say an acoustic piano. So there you go. You had to. I forced it. Forced the answer leading the witness. Okay, Tom, (laughs) if you could buy anything in the world, digital physical service experience that's currently for sale, what would it be? Something as currently for sale, because I can think of many things that are not currently for sale or realistic that I would love to, including a time machine. (laughs) And not necessarily in, in the forward direction. I would love to go back in time as well, maybe more than going forward. But I think probably I am a sponge when it comes to information. And I love being around incredibly visionary and intelligent people. So I would probably spend that money if I had it or that opportunity on sitting in a room and having an old fashioned or coffee or whatever with like Warren Buffett for like an hour and saying like, man, you've been alive almost 100 years and you've built billions and billions of dollars of wealth for yourself and for others. Tell me everything you know. That would probably be one of them. It'd be too bad. It'd be on point if he said, if you paid for a meeting with him and he said, the secret to making money is taking the money people giving you and running. See ya, sucker. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All right. Next question. 
Let's go back to you, Tom. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? It's one thing that in, I think, not just the legal profession, but in the professional world generally, I think there's some challenge right now is work ethic. And I feel like in the generation I grew up in and maybe those before me, I think the work ethic was so incredibly strong. And sometimes, I think this will answer your second question that may follow this, sometimes maybe to the extreme, but I would say work ethic and dedication to the craft. Sounds good. Yeah. I recommend a book by Ray Dalio, Principles for Dealing with the Changing World Order. Fascinating book about kind of the rise and fall of various economies and civilizations. And he notes a very clear pattern in the fall period of various civilizations and the kind of work ethic declines and the it That's right. comes out. And I the, think AI is going to challenge it even more, that, unfortunately. Totally. Yeah. All right, Michael, what about you? If you could pass on a personality trait to the next generation, what would it be? Obviously, my sense of humor, I mean, for that to die with me would be absolutely just such a shame. But if I were going to be a little more serious, I would say empathy. I think empathy in the sense of really being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and really understand and think about what they're feeling and where they're coming from. I think it's just one of the most important kind of underrated traits in being a lawyer and being a friend and being a partner. And so I think that's something that's really important. That's a good one. We've had that a few times. It's a good one. Back to you then, Michael, if you could eliminate a personality trait from the next generation, what would you choose? I think the world could deal with a little less of my inherently Jewish sense of anxiety. So if the next generation were able to shed (laughs) some of that, I think that'd be okay. Although that maybe that makes me a better lawyer. I don't know. Yeah, But also be careful about wanting to eliminate Jewish things here. This can get you in (laughs) deep water. (laughs) Fair, Um, fair, Fair enough. And Tom? Yeah, I think what I would eliminate is probably taking work ethic to the extreme. Because I think having some balance and I've gotten much better at it. I think early in my career, I was so focused. I got married and started a family much later in life than many people. And I think that was because I was so focused on what I wanted to do, my professional accomplishments, and which I think was fine. In my case, I came around, but some people don't ever come around to understanding that there has to be a balance. I like to call it work-life balance. I think some generational shifts have flipped it and made it more life-work balance. (laughs) Life comes first and then work. But I think finding a balance and not letting work ethic go to the extreme would be one of the traits that I would say eliminate. Yeah, that sounds good. I always like to think about it like working out. They can scientifically prove to you if you try to work out all day long and never give yourself any rest, you're not going to build any muscle or you're probably atrophy your system in case in point. So you always got to have that rest and recovery. It's just a natural part of the system. All right. Last two questions. It's relatively simple. Tom, unless you cannot legally disclose, what did you do just before joining us on the podcast? I get legally disclosed. I had lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Simple. Nice. What about you, Michael? Both before and after the podcast, I'm working on a piece of litigation in the DeFi space that is just absolutely occupying my attention and time in the most fun, interesting way possible. I love litigating. I love trying to win and figure out what arguments to make. And it's just, a, for better or worse, one of the joys of my life. Great. And then you answer the last question, which is, what are you going to do after the podcast? So Tom, back to you. We'll close it out. What are you doing after the podcast? Yeah. I mean, much like- Having lunch like, again? Um, no, uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Got to eat to go to the gym. 
much like my days are quite filled with speaking with clients on the phone and navigating a variety of issues, whether it's Web3 or traditional media and entertainment. And right now, I got to say, it is one of the most interesting, exciting times. I've been in this business 25 plus years, most of that as a lawyer. It is a really fun time to be a lawyer, a media and entertainment lawyer. We're just doing some incredibly cool stuff with a variety of clients, whether it's the TikToks of this world or other types of technology companies, traditional studios. So I'm going to go back to doing all that interesting stuff with my clients the rest of the day and guiding them through challenging legal questions and scenarios. Sounds appropriate. Perfect. Well, that concludes our quick hitters segment. Thanks guys for participating. That was a lot of fun. And what was it? Licorice pizza or something? I like that that term. (laughs) Hey there, NFT space cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com, it's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle, to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls, comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe. It's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service soup-to-nuts and whole-enchilada NFT service can help you, yes, you, Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. We do have a hot topic segment next. I guess let's jump into one at least. We'll hit a hot topic. This is kind of just news of the day. We like to chit chat about. I'll read a headline and some text and we'll give some commentary. So first one up here is Web3 Entertainment Studio Toon Stars to release an NFT-backed TV series, Space Junk. So they will release this series, a story about trash collectors in space, written by workaholics producer Dominic Russo and stars Napoleon Dynamite actor John Heater and School of Rock actor Tony Cavallero. Fans of the show will be able to mint space junk NFTs on the Theta blockchain, give them an opportunity to engage with the project, intellectual property, building the show's narrative, creating characters, participating in token holder-only experiences. I guess it's right up your alley, Tom. This whole idea of getting NFTs and Web3 involved 
in sort of the entertainment industry. Have you heard of this or what do you think? I hadn't. And thank you for sharing. I mean, look, it, this is the exact kind of the melding of the worlds, uh, the meeting of the world, the collision of the worlds, maybe. Sounds really cool if they can get it off the ground and make it happen. I think it involves animation, which is an area that I'm quite involved with outside of kind of Web3. I have a number of clients that do some really cool stuff. Shout out to Titmouse that does Big Mouth on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, great show, as well as Star Trek Lower Decks and Chris Pranoski and Shannon, who run that company. Some of the coolest, trippiest people you'll ever meet. They're incredible. So animation meets Web3 meets traditional media and entertainment. I think this is really where the future of this world is going. Fan engagement, collecting NFTs, being able to continuing to have, keeping people in your ecosystem. That's what this is all about. And I think NFTs and Web3 create a whole new layer of that hasn't existed in the past. Look, the one thing that I will tell you that technology has brought in the biggest way, and it's still happening, is the term I like to use that is a mouthful. It's disintermediation, cutting out the middle person. And technology has done that. We saw that with streaming. You didn't need to go to the video store to rent your video, or you didn't need to go to the theater. You went to your streaming service to get your content directly. But now I think what we're seeing is a leap from even over that party directly to the creator. And as that direct fan engagement happens between creator and fan, a whole new world will open up for creators. And I think this is a great example of that. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and look out for maybe a new reality show called Cleaning Out Zach Sekar's Garage and Installing a... <laughs> what are you going to do back there, Zach? Put in a barbecue or something in the backyard? Yeah, we'll sell some we're working on it. That. It's getting a little better in here. <laughs> <laughs> nice. The I see some of my vinyl records there. Wait a yeah. minute. <laughs> There's going to be an NFT for every piece of junk in Zach's garage that we're going to issue. It'd be a fidgetal item. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> Maybe that'll motivate me. <laughs> Beautiful. Michael, any comments on that? I'll just comment quickly. I happen to not be familiar with that particular project, but I do agree with Tom. This is one of the hot, exciting areas in the NFT space. So I do work with a company called BCL, which is sort of the Web3 arm of Fox. And they released... Oh, yeah. A, We've had that yeah. one. That's great. Oh, I didn't know that. We'll talk about that in a second. But they released a show called Crapopolis, which is a Dan Harmon animated that's show. That's what we talked about. Uh, okay. <laughs> and then someone has already has already spoken about that project. But that has a lot of, I think, the same features where the, the idea is you can use these NFTs as fan engagement. It's another way to engage with your fans and create a sense of community where people talk about it on a Discord. They can help make decisions on a show. And so we're seeing a lot more of these projects. I work with them on that. It's a very cool project. And Dan Harmon's a very funny guy. Awesome. That's cool to have that overlap. So a little callback for the listener. Go check out that episode. Who'd you have on? Who did we have on? Let's see here. NFT Girl and Tommaso Sandretto. Yeah. You know those guys? Both of them? Or? I know Tommaso. I may know NFT Girl, depending on who that is, but I know Tommaso. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I forget her actual name, but yeah, it was a great episode. A lot of fun stuff going on there. All right. Let's move on from hot topics. I think just in the interest of time, are you guys got a roll pretty soon at the end of the half hour here? Eight minutes for me. Yeah. All right. So let's skip hot topics out now. So thanks for participating in that. Next segment would be our shout out. And I understand you guys have a couple of maybe cool community members, partners, or admirations you'd like to call out. Why don't you give a chance, give a shout out the shout out? I'll go first, I guess. I gave a shout out already to the Titmouse 
team who I think highly of. And if you haven't seen one of their shows, you're really missing out if you're an animation fan. But the other client that is really, I mean, Web3 immersed is Orange Comet and Dave Broom, who I've been friends with and has been a client of mine. He was the creator of The Biggest Loser and a bunch of other great TV series we've done together, really leaning into NFTs and Web3, built this wonderful company with his partners and has done some of the greatest drops that I think of recent times, including the Scotty Pippen drop, Anthony Hopkins drop, they've done drops for sports teams. And now they're really building a number of really cool metaverse type initiatives and environments. They helped bring William Shatner to our event to Outer Edge. It was awesome. Yeah. And look, I think what I love about those guys is for them, NFTs and Web3 is about the merging of the highest quality content with the Web3 space. And so everything they create, they take incredible pride in making it look Hollywood quality. And it's incredible. You've seen their NFTs. They're all original handmade kind of creators that really put that artistic sense into it. So I'm really proud to be friends with Dave, proud to be their lawyers and really excited to see what they're going to be doing in the future. Dave's a fellow musician as well. He yeah. is. I wanted to jam with them during the event, but that did not come about. <laughs> Any other shout outs, Michael, before we wrap? Just the amazing idea of team members that we have. There's probably too many to name, but some of the leaders in the blockchain practice, Margo, Mark, James, Deborah, Eric, Deanna, Matt, and Ben, and they all know who they are, but they're really just amazing. We have an amazing team that is it's energetic, it's collaborative, it's, it's family-like. And so I couldn't be happier to be a part of that team. BCL, big shout out to them. Just done a lot with them over the past few years. And they always have a whole bunch of different cool projects. We've done NFTs with Dolly Parton and with the USFL and with you know, now Crapopolis. I mean, they just have some really, really cool stuff come out. And then SoRare, which I mentioned is an NFT fantasy you know, gaming platform. And they've just done some absolutely really cool projects to launch NBA, MLB themed fantasy products for their NFTs. And just being a part of those projects was just, it might have been some of the highlights of my career. I mean, they were just exciting cutting edge, really cool projects. They have an amazing team. I like using the products. So big shout out to them. Thanks for letting us work with you. Awesome. Thanks a lot for uh, helping us to what's going on there in your lives and what's cool. All right. So that's pretty much most of the episode. We just want to wrap here and make sure before we do that, find out where listeners can go to find out more about you guys and DLA Piper's capabilities and activities. What would be the best place to find out more? Probably the website, but Mike and I are both very active on LinkedIn. So the website is dlapiper.com. You can find our profiles there. If you do a search under my last name or Mike's last name, my last name is A-R-A-Ara. Mike is F-L-U-H-R, Floor. But on LinkedIn, I'm always happy to add, connect, follow. And we're, we love being on LinkedIn and sharing info and insights. Less active on some of the other platforms, but still monitor and track them. Perfect. All right. Does that cover everything? I think so. Sounds good. So we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on the Starship. So invite your friends, recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now. Rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Look us up on all major social platforms by typing Edge of NFT with no spaces and start a fun conversation with us online. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go just like you. 
Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.